G'day, it's Phil here. Last week on this special series of this 12th series, 12 series of the Game Changers podcast, we encountered for the first time Kai Lovell, a remarkable thinker who's doing some very, very interesting things in the world of technology. And we learned a lot about how he expresses and finds and explores his own sense of voice this week. I'm really hoping that we can get into the agency part of the voice agency and advocacy of today's learning for tomorrow's world. I'm excited, I can't wait. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 12 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. We are partnered with the dynamic education team at the Museum of Australian Democracy. MOAD Learning can support your teaching and learning needs on a range of topics, including civics and citizenship, democracy, empowering voice, and so much more. Visit moadoph.gov.au forward slash learning. That's moadoph.gov.au forward slash learning. Hello, Kai. How are you, Phil? Oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm pretty peachy, thank you. I'm looking outside. I'm uh, back in my hometown of Sydney uh, this week, visiting some uh, clients and seeing my family. And, uh, nice. yeah, it's nice. It's nice. How's Perth, mate? Perth is uh, is un- untypical and, uh, and, and and very cloudy today. Um, but, you know, I'm, 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 I'm inside, warm, cosy, chatting to you, so it's all as well. Well, that's a good thing. I want to take you, if I can, in this conversation into the space of your emerging sense of agency. We finished our conversation last week by noting that you increasingly found that school wasn't doing for you what it needed to do. Why don't you unpack that for me a little bit um, and perhaps take us through a potted version of your history at school and why you chose a pathway for yourself that's perhaps unconventional. I think um, I, like I want to start by um, first saying that what I'll share is, is my experience as a learner. And I, I completely appreciate and acknowledge the, the challenging uh, role of, of, of teaching and, and you know, running a school and, and all those things. Um, not something I can really empathise for or deeply understand, so I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to stick to my experiences as a learner, but this is not to discount those people doing that work at all. So That's kind of you. Now get, now get into it, mate. Get into it. <laughs> so I think it's important to note, of course, as well, that um, the fact that we're able to have this conversation today is, uh, is because, Phil, you and I had teachers that taught us our A's, B's and C's, um, that, that taught us the basics of, of how to write, of how to read, of how to speak and of how to listen. You know, that that is... That is something that uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for. My, my digital literacy, understanding um, the foundations of, um, you know, of, of communication in the real world, um, it really flows into that, that digital world. And, and, and that, is, that is a big part of, of, of who I am. And, and that's something I'm really grateful for you know, and, and, and thank the, the formal education system for. I, in primary school, I was sort of, I guess you'd, you'd say, a sort of natural achiever. I was someone who was able to, I was hungry for, for learning and, and I was able to pick things up reasonably quickly and I would enjoy the challenge of, of learning. Um, so I, I really did um, thrive in, in the sort of early years of high school, of primary school. 
and lapped up as much as I could um, in terms of the the academic sort of opportunities there. In the interest of uh, time, I mean, I could I could dig into a hundred and one stories of of primary school um, and and high school, but but one that really sort of um, stands out for me is this uh, this 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 sort of moment in time in. Uh, in year five and year six, where I was starting to feel uh, a, a sense of uh, disengagement. Uh, there was there was times in year three and year four where we'd explored actually moving moving me up a year and and sort of having some of those conversations. Um, you know, I was involved with some extracurricular um, learning programs and things like that. Um, in year four, mum and dad actually took me around Australia for nine months and and sort of took me out of school and um, and we jumped in an RV and. And did that for the year, which was which was awesome, um, and and a, and a big part of my my upbringing. But I I really sort of came into year five and six, still with some natural ability, but really starting to feel more and more disengaged with school. Um, I was frustrated that the learning that I was experiencing and getting didn't feel like it was contextual and relevant to 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 the person I was, the individual that was you know in in front of that teacher. Um, and that's a very hard thing to do, as, as, as I can imagine, um, when you've got 30 individuals in front of you. Um, but nonetheless, that was my experience. But, but what I think was, was really remarkable and, and I was very grateful for is the teachers in, in those sort of last years of, of high school, uh, primary school, um, those, those sort of final years of, of primary school, the teachers crowded this space for me. Uh, and this time it was a physical space in the, in the back corner of the classroom. And it was, it was sort of, you know, proverbially known in the class as Kai's Corner. Um, and it was sort of a corner of the class and then sort of like an adjoining sort of um, broom closet. Um, and there would be a, a few periods a day where I would be given the, the opportunity to go and spend time in that space. And what was in that space? I had robots that I was building. I had circuit boards with soldering irons that I was constructing. I had books that I was reading. And and I think you know whether it was a, a a bit of solace to to sort of put put an iPad in front of the toddler for an hour, um, or the, the the equivalent of sort of sending sending Kai to Kai's corner to hang out for an hour, I, I was really grateful for it because it gave me a space to explore some of these curiosities that were super contextual and relevant to me. So it sounds to me as though that your increasing realization at age nine, ten, eleven, twelve, around there that the learning wasn't as relevant to you as you needed it to be is it's not really a reflection on the individual teacher again it's taking it back to our earlier conversation of last week and in your james clear type thinking it was about the systems that were being wrapped around you and that the and that there was an attempt to modify the system to provide something that was more relevant for you but yes. cut, jump jumping ahead as as we know um, in that story, there's a decision eventually to part company with formal schooling, and then there's a decision fairly shortly after that to part company with tertiary education as well too. What is yes. it about the systems that are in place in primary and in secondary in tertiary that you find so dissatisfying? I think it's... Uh... It's hugely relevant to mention that the path that I'm on, the space that I'm in, plays very nicely with a self-taught learner. I'm not wanting to go into medicine or engineering um, or the sciences. Um, and I think for, for, for young people that are interested in those and, and many other careers and, and sort of passion areas, that 
are predicated on, I guess you would say, like core foundational base level knowledge before you start practicing in that space, um, then I think a lot of these systems are set up well. But I think what 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 they haven't necessarily flexed to or haven't necessarily um, started to cater for is a lot of these sort of industries, particularly around, you know, technology, which, um, you know, it, it, it's very hard to build a, a university curriculum a bit around sort of technology that's changing weekly, monthly, every year. Um, there's foundations, yeah, yes. For, yeah, for the life of me, I can't understand why it would be taught at a university in any case. Um, but, I, I can't, I, as, as, as somebody who's been in and out of universities now for well over 30 years in different capacities, the dynamism and the flexibility that's required to operate in that space is not what a university is about. It's why universities aren't great at commercialising knowledge. They're quite good at discovering knowledge. In fact, they're probably better than any other large institution we've created about, about testing possibility and creating certainty in the field of knowledge, um, but then turning it into product that people will buy and that can use in their lives is, is not what they're good at. Similarly, um, being responsive in a particular way. That's I don't think that's the I don't think that's the job of university. I think we ask universities to do far too many things these days. Or perhaps mm. if you turn that around, I think we we allow universities to claim a space that uh, they shouldn't necessarily occupy in a whole lot of areas because we have this view, this sort of reductionist view that 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 university is the answer for all people. That's not working out for you. You're doing something else. Tell me about the pathway that you're on right now. That that is that is an important place to start, as you say. That you know it it is different for different people. University serves different um, different purposes, and um, and and I, I think there's there's a direct correlation to university's effectiveness by looking at the industry's rate of change that people are going into with that degree. You know, if you look at medicine, the human body has really not really changed. Um, there, there's principles and, and practices that have evolved, of course. Um, and you know, I'm not going to pretend to know anything really about that. But that is some fundamental truths that don't change. Um, the, the technology space has changed completely from the time you first step foot into a university and the time you graduate. Um, now, that is not setting people up for success. Um, and, and I think the the... The interesting part of this is that also I've been probably, you know, being being frank, um, much much more heavily involved with curiosities out of school than than the average student. Particularly particularly in high school, I I probably over indexed on curiosities out of school um, and really deprioritized school. I, I stopped being the natural achiever. I stopped being the the high performer. Um, simply because I got to the point where school was was not just a natural achievement, it was also work required. Um, and I was not willing to put in that hard work for school. I was willing to put in the hard work to to build businesses with friends on the side, um, you know, to, to learn um, web development and web design and, and application development. Um, I, I was willing to put the effort in there because that was where I could see myself heading. Uh, that was where the ex- ex- the exploration of curiosities took me. Um, so I had a, a conviction in the space. So I, I wasn't optimizing for optionality. I wasn't optimizing for giving me a buffer to work out what I wanted to do. I didn't feel the need to do a gap year because 
I didn't need to find myself and I didn't need to explore my options. I didn't need to do an arts degree and figure it out a couple of years in. Um, well, you also you also didn't need a break in between different stages of your education, you know, because I, I think a lot of people who take gap years look at the punishment of a lot of formal schooling, particularly in the in the latter secondary era, era where we just torture people with this this sort of ex, this public examination routine, and then they look totally. at university and they think, oh no, I've got another three, four, five years of that. I need a break. I need a break. I I totally get that. I mean, I didn't do ATAR. Uh, I, I did a handful of, I did two ATAR subjects out of interest in, in my last year of, um, of school in year 11. Um, and, and, and then I left. Um, so that's absolutely a fair point that I, I didn't need, um, I didn't need that break. And, and what I was able to look at um, was, was really what the opportunity cost was of, of doing year 12 versus going into this space with my conviction levels so high and my excitement levels so high. Um, the opportunity cost of spending another year in, in high school, let alone four more years of, of high school plus university, doing this stuff in a formal sense and then going into the, the, the sort of industry. Um, it was really a, a question of, of opportunity cost. And, and I, I did this program in um, the first couple of months of 2021 called Alt-MBA. It's a program run by Seth Godin, um, who is a, a fantastic marketer and, and, and thought provoke provoqueur uh, and, and and adriano's hero as well too just quietly so yeah and 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 an excellent human being um and and that course was a mo- one month online based cohort based learning program for individuals wanting to become better leaders and contributors to the world um it's the stuff they don't teach you in a master's um of business administration it's it's everything else you know t- to make you a, a great individual in the the working world and one of the one of the prompts that we discussed in that was was opportunity cost and sunk cost and for the first time in my life i i really did truly understand those 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 concepts through alt mba and i was able to label for myself what i had just made decisions based on uh, i didn't really know it at the time but that was ultimately what i was weighing up i don't want to do year 12 because that it's one less year that I'm not doing startups and not building products and, and really building a skill set that's going to be right for me. And, and also the sunk cost. So many people said, Kai, you've just done 12 years of, uh, of 11 years of education. Why don't you just finish it? And, and it was like, yes, that's all true. But I have to look at this as, as, a, as, as an evaluation of today onwards, as much as yesterday and back is important. This graduating certificate that I don't, ha- I don't now have hasn't, impeded me in in one way shape or form uh apart from having to scroll down a couple more fields on some some application forms from time to time um and and that's really you know that's that's the fact of the matter i, I made those decisions and and to, to, to round this part out the the most interesting part of alt mba was that it was happening at the exact same time as i i was doing my first unit at Curtin university and and that was actually the way that i got out of school and end, end of year 11 was actually through portfolio entry, getting into a business degree. And I did that for a month. At the same time, I was doing this incredibly well-constructed, thoughtful, you know, community-based learning experience. They cost about the same. I got so much more out of one than the other. One was delivered in a, in a, in a, in a, modern, in, in a modern way that, that effectively taught you these, these concepts, one that still sits with me like imprinted in my brain today, which is that that sort of opportunity and scarce and uh, opportunity and sunk cost. Um, and I then made the decision that 
education wasn't made equal. Uh, this university degree, while I was, you know, gonna gonna muck around with this technology and startup stuff around it, um, was again probably not the right move for me. Um, you know, it got me out of got me out of the classroom. Um, but a month in, I um, I deferred and and I haven't gone back and and have been working ever since. There you go. All right. So what I want to do is I want to explore this very powerful drive towards self determination that sits with inside you and its relationship to your to both your 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 need for agency and then the expression of it. Because you know, again, I and I think I think you touched on this to it. Um, in, in a couple of different ways in, in what you've been talking about, where you said different strokes for different folks. You know, there's different approaches to education and not everything suits everybody and so on and so on. So I think it's a very polite way of saying, I've found a pathway that suits me and it doesn't suit most people. You talked about the need to create competency in a field which is very fluid, very dynamic, um, as opposed to fields which are much more about um, received wisdom and received knowledge um, and, and, and mastering an agreed existing body of knowledge rather than contributing to the generation of whatever it is that, that the body of knowledge needs to be that's going to suit you today. You talked about in the last episode that we did, um, you, t- you talked about the need for just-in-time learning as opposed to timeless learning. So there's 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 lots of interesting things playing in and around your journey. I sometimes wonder whether what we do in constructing the systems of education that we have is we create a field, we generate lots of opportunities in that field. Most of those opportunities we make kids do. Um, some opportunities we give kids choice over. Increasingly, as they walk down the pathways in that field, we've got more choice and more choice and more choice appears until such time as you find your sense of purpose. And then once you've found your sense of purpose and once you know where you're going, then you're the one who genuinely takes control of your learning. So there's a there's an inversion of the power relationship yes. really within it. But the challenge of the system is that the greater system of society recognises the more conventional pathway rather than the less conventional pathway. Um, perhaps because it is more conventional, perhaps because it suits more people, perhaps because it takes a longer time um, for, for a lot of people to find that sense of drive and that sense of purpose that will connect them to something that they want to do. Some people never find that sense of purpose or drive and they're always driven along by external um, rather than internal drives. You've said that your purpose is to get closer to your ikigai, your your reason for being every day. Your learning and your way of learning seems to connect with your agency, seems to connect um, with your sense of purpose. All right, so that's my little sort of rant. That's my little editorial comment. Where I'm taking this is is to say, now you've reached where you have, where is your agency directed and how has your learning prepared you for that? To me, there's two words that matter in education uh, from, from my view. There is a, a sense of agency and there's a sense of enterprise um, and they're, they're linked. I am, am a big, big proponent of well, programs. Kai, of, course of course they're linked because there was the Starship Enterprise, which worked for whatever Universal Space Agency there was, but that's from a program from long before you were born. I should just shut up now. Like you go really uh, soon. No, that was that was that was good. That was good, Phil. Um, linked for a couple of reasons. Clearly, um, 
and 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 the way that I see them linked um, is yes, you need people uh, in in education, young people, to to take ownership of their own learning lives. That's that's my definition of agency. And I think secondarily, we don't necessarily need to build a generation of entrepreneurs, um, but we should be building a generation of enterprising young people. Um, one of my favourite people in this space is uh, Nicole Dyson, who runs Future Anything. Um, and, and, an, and another game changer's guest and a very, very good friend of Adriana and I. She's, uh, she's excellent. Um, and uh, and, and I've, I've really enjoyed conversations I've had with her in time gone by around the role of, of, of building enterprising young people and, and the role that they say they play in that. Um, an enterprising young person is someone who takes agency into their career. That's the way that I see that. Um, uh, the enterprising young person may start a business, but they may be an absolutely game-changing employee in a government organisation, in a private sector organisation. That, to me, is a sort of young people that we want to be building. Those that don't wait for others to say, hey, can you do this thing? Those that don't say, hey, that's not my job. Those that don't say, uh, I, I, I'm not, not going to take that on um, because it's not something that, that I've done before. Um, enterprising young people love the feeling of, of, of being in that discomfort zone of doing, doing new things. Um, and they're willing to, to sort of put their hands up in, in whatever environment they're in. So for me, I'm trying to be a really enterprising uh, individual in the company I'm at, in, in the organisations that I'm involved with uh, in, in a voluntary capacity. And I think to me, that's, that's a sort of evolution of, of agency there. And, and, and what that looks like is, you know, taking ownership of my personal and career development within the organisation that I'm in. Um, one, of, one of the favourite things, uh, one of my favourite learnings from the company I'm at currently, Zipline, is that all of our one-on-ones with managers, the agenda is set by the employee, not the manager. And that is, that is agency and that is, that is enterprise. That is taking ownership of your personal and career development in that organisation by setting that agenda. Um, and yes, the organisation has to, to sort of set that space, but I think that's the right approach. And and for me, I'm I'm really wanting to to you know to see rubbish at the at the entrance of our building, our, our virtual building, and pick it up. Not because I'm the cleaner, but because I believe in what we're doing. Uh, and 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 I've been I've been sort of you know programmed to to think that that there's something beyond just my job description that I'm here to do. You know, something that I'm here to to to, to point out. So you better tell us a little bit about what you're doing in Zipline then. Very happy to. So Zipline is a, um, a really um, an, an organisation that's building a category um, or defining a category around frontline compliance. Um, I've been at the company for nearly nearly a year now, um, and I've had a, a, a sort of couple of different roles in the organisation, and and have uh, been able to explore curiosities here um, already, which is which is excellent. But what do you to, mean by frontline compliance? But to finalise what we do, because um, I thought I'd, I'd leave that there for 10 seconds and then come back to it. Um, oh, there we go. Frontline compliance is the second half of a whole compliance challenge that organisations around the world face. Now, we focus on healthcare. So hospitals and aged care homes um, have, have a broad range of compliance challenges. Why does compliance exist? The government sets policies and procedures and regulations so that, Phil, you and I are safe when we walk into an organisation. 
Um, you know, we don't step on a we don't step on a nail. Um, we don't get the wrong IV injection. Um, you know, we don't we don't let people come into spaces that shouldn't be in those spaces. That's why compliance exists. Um, now, frontline compliance, as opposed to central compliance, is the hardest part of compliance. It's not insurance and taxes and data in central HQ. It's doctors and nurses and staff and visitors and contractors coming in and out of your places, doing different things in those places, and having to prove that the things they're doing are within the compliance regulations. Um, that is really hard, and, and we build software and hardware to help with that. And for me, the role that I've played in the organization, I, I joined um, as, as business manager to the CEO. So our CEO is in Perth as well. Um, we're a team of about 70-odd people across Australia and, and internationally. Um, but Michael, he's in Perth, and um, and I, in that six sort of seven months, have, have really uh, I, I played a role in helping him with his day-to-day um, and, and his, his efficiency and, and helping him with his you know his his projects, his priorities, and his effectiveness, um, and that was that was a really fascinating role. I got to see how he operated. I got to get a really unique view of um, of how the organisation worked. And you know, when we had our senior leadership team come over to the the the, east, uh, the west coast over here to to do our sort of quarterly planning, um, we went down to Dunsborough, which is near Margaret River here in Western Australia, a beautiful place to to work for a few gorgeous days. Part of the world, yeah, gorgeous. It really is. And I went down, and and I said, I said, I said to Mike, you know, I'm happy to come down, and um, and 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 they were really happy to have me there, and um, helping with some of the food, going to town, grabbing coffees, and coming back. Um, I was so stoked to do that because I'd pop in, and and I'd I'd be able to hear some of those conversations, and and you know, come over for the pizza night on the Tuesday, and and chat with these people, um, and that that was a really unique opportunity. Um, to, to to build some great relationships um, with those folks in the company, and then in the last couple of months, um, I I've moved into sort of more of a, a product and customer facing world, um, which is which is really exciting and and super aligned with what I'm passionate about, um, as as you probably heard. And at the moment, I'm I'm a customer success manager, um, and and that that means that I'm a sort of point of contact um, within our, our sort of customer accounts. I help them make the most of the product that they've bought and and help that business um, really achieve their compliance goals using Zipline. Um, so so that's that's a really, really fascinating place to be in. And and you know, building great products, the, the first step is is having a good pulse check on the customer. Um, so I'm really grateful to be able to build that skill set um, and at an organization like ours and and be given you know the opportunity to to explore different roles early on in my career in an organization full of people I like working with. There's so much there's so much there that we could that we can unpack. I sort of want to take, if I can, just the, the broad sweep of this, which is about a, a restlessness which sits within your agency, a dissatisfaction with the status quo. I want to pose to you the counter argument that some people might have around the purpose of an education, which is not necessarily to feed enterprise, but to feed consistency and stability in society, that what we actually want to do is that we want to conserve what is good and what is great and what has been built by those who came before us. Uh, we don't want to blow things up. We want to we want to preserve all that is worthwhile and valuable and that we should change the game at our peril. What do you have to say to that perspective, Kai? 
I think that you know that that's 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 all well and good, but the, the game was changed in order to get to where we are today. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's 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 the critical component. I uh, I have to admit, I'm actually not not that big of a history fan. Um, certainly, from the perspective of um, there, I was just beginning to like you, Kai. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Um, I, I I never engaged with it in in, in school, um, but I have an appreciation for what we can learn from it. Um, and and I think when when history is communicated really well, um, it can be it can be a powerful lens towards our future. Um, and I would say that the game has to have changed today in order to get to where we are now. Um, and and I think that's really the answer is the the game has to continue to change. We have to continually evolve what we're doing in order to get to where we need to be. Um, you know, it, if if we think that we can keep the game as it is. Uh, then we're kidding ourselves and not looking back to the days 100 years ago where um, we were pumping most of our people into production lines, not knowledge worker jobs, and and that's going to continue to evolve. Um, and I think I think that that is the only way because it's the only way that's that it's happened to to get us to where we are today. I, I love this um, this sense of you know in, in a world that we live in, um, and there, there is a there is a particular word which I'm hoping you might be able to help me with. Um, but I'll explain the concept and we'll, we'll revisit the um, linguistics. Um, in a car, if you imagine when you take your foot off the accelerator, you slow down and then you start going backwards. It's, it's automatic reverse, right? Um, it's, 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 is, is that entropy? I think, I think that's the word. Yeah, look, um, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. So, so entropy is the inevitable decay of a system. Yes, um, you know, which is, so any any system engages with a state of entropy from the moment it's created, and so that if you do nothing to a system, it will inevitably um, disintegrate. The, 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 there's a, a more technical definition uh, for it, which um, perhaps someone who's more scientific would understand. But the implication of entropy is that if we don't move forward, we don't just stand still; we actually go backwards, and eventually it all disintegrates. It's it's a feeling of entropy. Uh, I think that that comes up for me when I think about a lot of these things. You know, indecision is decision. You know, the the ice melts if you don't keep it cool. So I think there has to be a thoughtful thinking process around this. There has there has to be a, a thoughtful process of deliberation about the parts of the system that have served us to date. You know, the things that we need to continue, the things that we need to start doing that we haven't done. And the things that we need to stop doing that we have done, you know, that sort of start, stop, continue. Um, I think that's that's a really important lens to take this on. But um, dear God, we can't we can't stick with what we got. <laughs> that's a perfect place for us to stop because we're just getting ourselves into the space of talking about advocacy. And I think that's what we could be talking about next time. Uh, Kai, thank you again for another really really interesting conversation around uh, the philosophy and application of learning. And, and the exploration of the social contract of education, which is really about today's learning for tomorrow's world. Um, thank you. Thank you, Phil. This has uh, been a pleasure. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.